Matthew 7, 7 through 12. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. You know what it means? You know what it means to take things out of context, right? If you take something out of context, you uh, you remove something from its surrounding material in a way that distorts its original or its in- intended meaning. Usually, we take things out of context when we already know what we want to be true, and we're just looking for something that. Uh, verifies what we want to be true. It's why we do it. The, the best examples of these are in politics, because we do this to our political opponents all the time. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, President Trump was in Asia. When he was in Japan, he was quoted as saying this, and he did say this to some Japanese business leaders. He said, try building your cars in the United States instead of shipping them over. Is that possible to ask? That's not rude. Is that rude? I don't think so. Can you hear him saying that? That was obviously him. And that was picked up and and, and sent out as, as proof that President Trump doesn't even know that the Japanese already build thousands of cars in the United States. And it looks like that's what he meant. The problem is, if you read the transcript of everything he said or watch the video of it, he didn't mean that at all. This was a joke, and he made perfectly clear that he was aware of uh, Japanese car makers operating in the United States. But if what I want to be true is that he doesn't know stuff like that, I can pull that out and present it as true. And just to be fair, so you know it's not just those filthy liberals who do stuff like this. Anybody remember this picture? I got this one from my angry uncle in an email one time. Uh, That's President Obama there, second from the left. Everyone else is saluting the flag uh, during the national anthem, and this was, you know, proof that he refused to salute the flag during the national anthem because he's obviously a Muslim terrorist founder of ISIS and all that stuff. The problem is that picture is even taken out of context. You can watch the video of this one, and the song that's playing is Hail to the Chief, and the presidents are supposed to keep their hands down to keep from saluting themselves. But if what you want to be true is something different, take it out of context and it's much easier. You know the second best example of things being taken out of context is, besides politics, this book right here. We do this all the time with the Bible. Um, For example... I'll give you kind of an over-the-top obvious one. We're supposed to obey the commands of God, right? I mean, if I showed you a clear command of God in the Scriptures, surely we're supposed to obey that. Depends on the context. 
Genesis 6.14 says, Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms, and, it shall, and you shall cover it inside and out with pitch. How many of you have obeyed that command? No, because if you read the context, this was a very special command in one very special situation. Another, uh, maybe the most taken out of context verse in the New Testament would probably be this one. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. Here's how this is normally used. I can accomplish whatever I want to accomplish. I can make all my dreams come true. And the Bible says Jesus is going to help me get what I want. Because Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The problem with that is in the context, here's what Paul's saying. It's more, it's close, more closely something like this. Um, whether Christ sees fit to give me riches or poverty, success or failure, I have what I need to glorify him in whatever situation I am. Which is a much different meaning than we normally get. This is why uh, my Greek professor, Dr. Neil Nelson, God rest his soul, um, had... uh, uh, Dr. Nelson's not dead. I have no idea why I just said God rest his soul. Uh, I I, I need to stop myself. I just killed my Greek professor right here. Uh, Um... Oh, yeah. Okay. Dr. Nelson, not dead. Good Greek professor. Um, But he did have... This was supposed to be the entertaining part. Uh, Not that he's dead, because he's not. He had this uh, banner saying this uh, in his classroom. Context is king. It was kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing, because obviously in a a seminary, Christ is king or whatever. But he said, not in this classroom. Context is king, as as a joke. And it was so old, he'd had this thing hanging in his classroom so long, it was made on a dot matrix printer. You remember? You remember those? All the. the one that the sheets would be were all connected in a string like this, and you had to tear the edges off the paper. Um, anyway, that was his context as king. It was old school. And, and he was always reminding us, hammering away at us. He'd point to his dot matrix sign and say uh, things like this. When you are trying to determine the meaning of the passage, whatever it means, it cannot disagree with its context context is king. Here's why I bring this up. Today's passage, the first part of it just gets abused by taking it out of its context. If you just read the first two verses of the passage, it can really seem like Jesus is saying something he absolutely isn't saying, and the context will not allow it. And so I the first order of business is, is looking at what Jesus really taught about prayer in that ask, seek, knock passage. The one that can kind of look like Jesus says you can have whatever you want if you ask right. But then, what's really interesting is the last verse of this passage, we usually call the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And he's, Jesus says, the first word in Greek is, is what would get translated, therefore, or so, do unto others. And the interesting part of that is, what is it doing here? <laughs> Ask God for stuff and do unto others. So this morning, from the context, 
of the Sermon on the Mount, which is where this, this is in. This is one part of one sermon. What is Jesus telling us about prayer and asking for stuff? And what does that have to do with us obeying the golden rule? Studying this time, this passage, I think I see that knowing the context of this is what gives us even the opportunity to obey the golden rule. Because it's really hard, isn't it? It is hard to treat people always the way you wish you were treated. You know what we do naturally? We treat people the way we think they treat us. And this is something very different. So what does Jesus say, and how does it give us the opportunity to be golden rule Christians? There's our goals today. We start in uh, verses 7 through 11 is all but the golden rule. And I think those verses we could summarize this way. God will give you what you ask when what you ask for is truly good. In verses 7 and 8, Jesus commands us to pray persistently. Ask God to meet our needs. And he uses three present imperatives. Ask, seek, and knock. And when I say they're present imperatives, uh, an imperative is a command. And in Greek, present doesn't mean it's happening right now. It means it's continuous. So really, these could be translated, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Be persistent. And Jesus does say, the person, who, uh, the person who gets stuff given, the person who finds, and the person who has doors opened by God is the person who keeps on asking, keeps on seeking, keeps on knocking. Don't have what you've asked for? Keep asking. Haven't found what you're looking for? Keep seeking. That door hasn't been opened. Keep knocking on the doors of heaven. Because there's a, there's a heavenly Father who's good and is generous and is giving. But Jesus knows what you're thinking if you just read those verses. Like, like all i got to do is ask and I can get whatever I want. Jesus says, hold on a minute there, chachi. That's not in the Greek. That's my own paraphrase. In verses 9 through 11, here's how Jesus qualifies the ask, seek, knock. He says, all right, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he, that's your son, if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? The answer is none of us, right? If then you, though, compared to God, are evil... If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Your Father in heaven will give good gifts to those who ask Him. I'm going to say that again. Your Father in heaven will. He will give what is good to His children. Are you God's child? This is where you nod your head yes and let me know that you're paying attention out there. Have you accepted that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for you? Are you his child by faith, born again, redeemed? Listen, he will give you what is good when you ask. However, 
Because he's a good father. You see how Jesus very clearly uh, compares God favorably to an earthly dad? God will compare favorably to even the best dads. Right? Because God is a good parent. All right, parents, let me ask you this. Does a good parent give his or her child everything he or she asks for? No. Why? Good parents don't give everything their kids ask for. Why not? Because kids are, by and large, clueless. That's why. I hate to break this to you, young people. I don't want to offend you. But wait about 30 years. Maybe you'll have kids of your own, and you will know that I am right. Right? Because your children can't believe it when, when you don't let them exist on like Pop-Tarts and Sour Patch Kids. Right? <laughs> I don't understand when I'm nine years old why that's not a good idea. Uh, when, when you have a teenager, they will come to you and say, Hey, Mom, can I go canoeing? And you'll say, No, it's 40 degrees and it's a howling wind. I know, it's going to be awesome. Right? <laughs> right? We're not wearing life jackets either. It's going to up the stakes. It's going to be so intense. Right? They... They think that's good, right? Especially this area right over here. <laughs> I don't want to mention any names. Parker will get mad if I mention names. Um, but they, right? Parents are supposed to have perspective that can see what good is, even when a kid doesn't understand that good is good. And if, if God is a good father, and he is, and if he will give what's good, good to his children, he has to have room to have a better perspective than we, if our teenagers are clueless compared to us, how much more clueless are we compared to an all-knowing father? In fact, when God begins to give us whatever we want, Romans chapter 2 tells us it's not because we finally wore him down. He's finally seeing things our way. Sometimes that's not even his goodness. It's his, what's sometimes called the passive wrath of God. Where God says, okay, you've been seeking that, chasing that. You thought that's what would make you happy and give you peace and give you joy. Then I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to turn you over and let you have this thing you continue to seek, though I say no. And he always adds this, I will be here when that doesn't hold your hope, when it lets you down. God never burns the bridge. God knows how to give good gifts. So I've got to say this about this passage too. God also doesn't deal in counterfeits. We have an enemy that likes to give counterfeits, things that seem like they would be good. And sometimes, because we're clueless, sometimes we think counterfeits are as good as the real thing. Uh, Jesus uses bread and a, and a stone here. First of all, he, he uses bread and fish here, I think, as he's setting us up for another thing that's going to happen later when he's going to take bread and fish and do something cool with them. But in Jesus' day, bread didn't come in, in like a loaf, right? Loaf pan thing. It was more round. It looked like what we call a river rock. You've seen a rock that's been worn, that's smooth through the ages in, the, in, the, in a stream. 
Okay, round, flat. Kind of, so bread kind of looked like that, like rock-like. But no matter how much a rock looks like bread, you know, it's not good for you. God doesn't give counterfeits. He doesn't deal in counterfeits, but he knows what's good. So if we're at, God knows what we need. Jesus told us in this Sermon on the Mount already, your Father in heaven knows what you need. He knows we need contentment. We need peace. We need uh, loved. We need accepted. We need, uh, you know, we need Him. We need joy. But He won't give us counterfeit things that we chase after, thinking they'll give joy or give those things. All right, so when God withholds, when He refuses to give what we ask for, um, we have to trust that He's a good dad. I'm going to summarize what I've been saying this way. When we ask, when we seek, when we knock, we've got to have complete confidence, I think, from this passage in these five things. First, we've got to be confident God hears us. Some, some of you, you know, in a, I don't know how many we have here this morning, but statistically, if we have this many people, there are some of us in here who have struggled with that. Do you even hear me? Jesus clearly indicates that your loving Father will hear you when you ask. When I don't get what I want, it's not because I haven't been heard. Second, we need to be confident in this. Asking can make a difference in the outcome. Very clearly, Jesus said, the one who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks the door will be open. His half-brother James said, sometimes you don't, you don't have because you do not ask. It can make a difference. Sometimes if I don't have what I feel like I want, maybe it's because I haven't asked. Third, when we pray, when we ask, seek, and knock that we're supposed to be doing continually, we have to trust that God is generous. When I haven't received what I have asked for, I have to trust it's not because God is stingy, because he's holding out on me, because he doesn't want me to be happy. He's the giant fun sucker in the sky. That's not God. Now, when you were young and your parents said no, isn't that what you thought of your parents? Right? They just didn't want you to have fun. Uh, fourth, when we pray, we have to be confident. We have to believe that God's perspective allows him to accurately assess what is truly good for us. God has more wisdom, more experience, more knowledge. So we need to trust him to know what really is good. And then finally, number five, and I think this is kind of the bottom line. We've got to trust this. When we are told no by God, we've got to, we've got to somehow trust that that no is good. He will give what is good and what he gives will be good. And this one's really hard. Because when 
when what I ask for is something like healing, right? When I ask for is for the cancer to go away. When what I ask for is, you know, someone to marry. When what I ask for is children. When what I ask for is, I, I can't understand why this, why no could possibly be good. My inability to understand how it could be good doesn't mean it can't be good. Because I'm clueless compared to a, an omnipotent, omniscient God. It takes a lot of faith to trust that somehow your no is good. Because you're a good, good father. Does that make sense? If it doesn't make sense, going forward is going to be difficult. <laughs> now, I think we can learn that from those first, all but the last verse of this. But does that seem like, does that seem like the bait and switch? You can be honest here. Does it seem like Jesus pulled the bait and switch on us? Because in verses 7 and 8, if you read that by themselves, you would think, I just got to ask the right way. If I just ask the right way, I'll get what I want. Maybe because you've been hurt one too many times and you know if it's too good to be true, it probably isn't. If it seems too good to be true, it probably isn't. You wouldn't maybe think that because you're cynical. But verse 7 and 8 can kind of seem like that. And then in, in the rest of the, yeah, but here's the, it's like the fine print. It's like verses 9 through 11 are the fine print. Not available in all areas. Some restrictions apply. And by the way, what you ask for has to be good in God's eyes, not yours. That can seem like the fine print. But only if we're taking this out of its context. Here's why the context this is in is so important. Because this is one little paragraph in a bigger sermon we call the Sermon on the Mount. And no one, you don't have to believe in Jesus for this to be true. No one would read the Sermon on the Mount and come away that, you know, I've read the whole Sermon on the Mount and here's what I think it's about. I think I can convince God to give me whatever I want. Right? You, no one would read the Sermon on the Mount and think... This is a story about how I can manipulate God to give me what I want. The, the Sermon on the Mount, there's a reason Jesus has said what he said before he got to this point. The Sermon on the Mount, allow me a brief and incomplete summary, but it's important for this context. Sermon on the Mount began with what we call the Beatitudes in chapter 5. Blessed are those. The blessed are those statements. You've heard those, right? Okay. He said, blessed are the, the blessed person is. And he lists a whole bunch of things. When we ask for stuff, if God is good and he only gives us what is good, and he will give us what is good. Don't miss this. In this sermon, he's already told us what blessing looks like. And the blessed person is not the person who has the most stuff, the most money, the most vacations, the most success, the most whatever. The blessed person's poor in spirit. First words 
in this sermon. The blessed person mourns. The blessed person is meek. The, the blessed person hungers and thirsts after something different than my earthly desires. Do you remember what? Matthew 5, 6. The, the blessed person hungers and thirsts for righteousness. And real satisfaction, he said in Matthew 5, 6, comes from hungering and thirst after righteousness, which is something we can't even get to. has to be given. So whatever Jesus means here, it can't be about getting what we... It's not like, how do I get Jesus to give me a better car? It just doesn't fit. Jesus said, the blessed person not only won't always get everything he wants... By the way, that's like a, that's the spoiled person and probably a selfish person. The blessed person, sometimes he said, are persecuted. The blessed person, people say false stuff about them. And somehow that blessed person remains pure in heart. So I can, I can be meek and mourning and have false stuff said about me and um, all these, be persecuted and still be blessed at that time. Jesus said our desires, if we're keeping up in this sermon, aren't desires for earthly circumstances. Our desires are things like this. He said we should desire to be salt and light. Salt is the preserving agent. Salt Uh, slows down rot. Light shines when it's dark. Here's what that tells us. If my desire is to be salt and light, when my circumstances are rotten, it's not because God's holding out on me. Jesus says, you signed up for this. You wanted to be salt. So when things are rotten, be salty. Right? When things get dark, it's not because he's being mean. It's like, you, I want you to be the light. How's anybody going to notice my light in you if it's not dark? That's our desire. That's what our desire is to be. Also, don't miss this context. In this sermon, guess what Jesus has already taught us to do and how to do? Pray. Right? The Lord's, what we usually call the Lord's Prayer. You might have called it the Our Father growing up. It's in this Sermon on the Mount. He's already taught us how to pray. And it was not about figuring out how to get what you want from God. Not at all. That Lord's Prayer is about hallowing God's name in my heart. Setting Him apart as holy, as number one, as best, as the most important thing. I want to see your reputation and character revered in my heart and elsewhere. Hallowed be thy name. I want to be, I want, Lord, in my prayer, my prayer life is about seeing your kingdom be built, not mine. It's about, I want your will to be done in here first and out there second. He's already, that's what we're supposed to be praying about. So then later when Jesus goes back to prayer, do you think he's changed his mind? What do you think we're supposed to be asking, seeking, knocking about? 
Like a new boat? I mean, honestly. And if you want a new boat, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Just, that just came out. Don't take it personally. I just called my seminary professor a dead guy. So, uh, If we're following along in the Sermon on the Mount, you know what I'm asking for? My heart would be like your heart. Because he's already taught us how to pray, and that's what we're doing. I'm seeking a heart that's like yours. I want my desires to be your desires. I'm knocking. You know what opportunities I want? Kingdom opportunities. To serve others so that that your will can be done in their lives. Jesus has been teaching us what real blessing really looks like. What our real hunger and thirst should be. That's the ultimate good we should seek. That's why we can trust him. But listen, I'm not telling you not to pray that you be healed, that you get married, that you have babies, that you're, you know, you're, yes. I just want us to trust him with no and trust him that somehow it's good. And when he says no, then I know, okay, this is not what I want. But my desire, I want a heart like yours. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be salt. I'm going to be light in this, in this no, in the no. I'm not going to hold this no against you. I'm going to live for you in this no. Does that make sense now? That's the second time I've asked that. I hope you're tracking. Because then Jesus throws this baby at us. Therefore, your Bible might say so, based on because of what I've just said, now I'm going to say this, Jesus says, in everything, treat others the way you would want them to treat you, for this fulfills the law and the prophets. That's what's usually called the golden rule. It's not complicated. I don't have to teach you what it means. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Not complicated, or not difficult to understand. It's just difficult to do. Well, it's difficult to do half the time. It's easy to do half the time. Because when you're good to me, it's pretty easy for me to be good to you. It's just when I don't think you're good to me, that's when I have a hard time with this. So, What's this doing here? How does this fit? Um, What does asking God for stuff have to do with me treating people the way I want to be treated? All right, to answer that, let me ask you a question. When you fail at the golden rule, when you treat someone in a way that you would be mad if they were treating you that way, Right, so you're angry, you're biting, you're critical, you're whatever. Why do you do that? And before you say, because that's how they treated me, no, I'm just talking about your response. We know we're not supposed to treat them, return evil for evil. So why do you fail at the golden rule? Jesus' half-brother, I think, has the answer. Very similar uh, passage to what I've been talking about. James 4, first three verses, James writes this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? I would, for this morning's purposes, translate that this way. Why do you fail at the golden rule? Doesn't that come from your desires? 
that battle within, within you. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Boy, that's right out of the Sermon on the Mount, too, because Jesus told us to get rid of the seeds of murder, that hate, before it turns into something bigger. Verse 2, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have. That's when he says you do not have because you do not ask God. And he says when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. that You may spend what you get um, on your pleasure. Do you see in there where James tells us why we violate the golden rule? It's because of our, de- because of our desires. And I would say it this way. Because we have the wrong desires. We're not ask, we don't ask, seek, and knock for the right good. <laughs> we, we want our way. We want superiority. We want more stuff. We want that jerk Billy to not be in the starting lineup. We want me instead. We have the wrong motives, the wrong desires. We get, Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, we get bad eyes. So we set our desires on things that begin to, we set our hopes on things in the earth, they begin to control us. And then someone else gets what we want. They've taken our hope. What what I've got my hopes on is for acceptance from this person or from success in that area. And someone else gets it. And I feel like they are the reason I don't have what I need. James tells us we think we need the wrong things. I'm going to edit myself. I'm skipping that right there. If you... I'm kind of starting at the bottom. I probably should skip this slide too. But If you are mean to me, and I am unable to treat you the way I want to be treated, It's because I don't have Sermon on the Mount desires. My hunger and thirst is not set on righteousness. And even if I say, I I want to be nice back, I don't want to return evil for evil, but I, I can't help it. James would say, have you asked about that? Don't poo poo that question away. When you're in a conflict, you know what it is in your heart How many times, how good are you at doing this? In the heat of it, you go be by yourself and pray. How good are you at that? You know how good I am? Not good. I'm trying. You know why we don't want to stop and go pray? Because we know our dad. And we know what he's going to say. Child, The good is still available. The real blessing is still available. I've seen what that other person has done. You don't need what you think you need. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. You can be salt and light. What you you really need is right there. I will give it to you. But ain't nobody got time for that. Right? No, I want to win this thing. I want to get my way, and later on, I'll work out an explanation for how I was doing God's will during that time. How God really wanted me to come out on top. James said, have you, have you asked? 
Do you ask, seek, and knock for his kingdom, for his righteousness, for a heart that matches Jesus's, for, for the opportunity to be salt and light in a rotten and dark situation? We pray for true blessing and a heart that wants the true blessings. So I guess I think this. The golden, I think the golden rule gets even taken out of context. Even though it's simple and it's always right to treat other people the way we want to be treated, I think it, gets, it, it is the, the cart that gets put before the horse. And here's, how I, here's what I mean. Uh, I want to strangle this person, but God wants me to do unto others as I would have them. So I'm going to be, try really hard to not be mean because then God will be pleased with me and I'll probably get what I want. The golden rule is the result. The golden, res- the golden rule is what happens when I get right desires. And I ask and seek and knock for a heart that matches Jesus and he gives me what is good and I see. Now, that person who's been terrible to me, and they probably really were terrible, they have not taken away what I need. They actually have presented me an opportunity to be salt and light. And now, I can treat them the way I would want to be treated. Why? Because my hunger and my thirst is for his kingdom and his righteousness. And when that is my desire, you know what I feel? Satisfaction. Go back and look up the sermon on Matthew. It includes Matthew 5, 6. It's called, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. What satisfies is just when I have the desire for something I can't lose. The golden rule is a result. When we try to do it first, we will fail miserably. When we let it be the result of right desires, man, sometimes you'll find it just came out of you. And then you go and celebrate that with somebody. There's a reason the Bible knowledge commentary says about the golden rule. A principle like this cannot be consistently practiced by a natural person. <laughs> Only a righteous person is able to practice this rule and thereby demonstrate the spiritual change that has come about in his life. Do you hear that? The golden rule is not how somebody becomes righteous. The golden rule is, 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 a, is like the fruit of someone who's had a spiritual change come about in their life. Is that a, is that a struggle every day or is that just me? Let's make sure we're starting with the right starting point. Right desires, his kingdom, his righteousness. And talking to our good, good father about giving us what's really good and setting our desires on those things. And the result might just be that we're a whole lot better to be around. Because <laughs> we can be golden rule, Sermon on the Mount kind of people. Pray with me. Oh, Daddy. Our Father. You are good and you are generous. And you give good gifts to your children. God, remind us about how you've showed us what good looks like. About what blessed looks like. 
so that what we can pursue, what we can hunger and thirst for is what satisfies, which is, which is you and your righteousness. God, those of us who are parents, we understand what it's like to have a wayward kid and how that, that love never goes away when our kids are disobedient. I thank you that you are a good, good father who will never burn the bridge, who will welcome back your prodigals. God, I ask on behalf of my church family, I ask that you would give us hearts more like yours. We seek your righteousness, and we pound on the gates of heaven for opportunities to be your people, your children, your salt, and your light in a rotting world that's very dark. And God, when we get our priorities straight in that way, will you pull out of us golden rule behavior to your glory? Not because it makes us righteous, because it's the result of our pursuit of you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.